0: You are listening to the Manaverse podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 133. A digital marketing strategy is crucial to your game store's success. In order to grow, you need to get your store in front of new customers. And the most effective way to do that is is online using strategies like Google ads, email marketing, social media, and content marketing. And this is where the Manaverse Marketing Agency comes in. We bring in new customers to your online store and physical storefront using a comprehensive digital marketing strategy that we build around your brand, an existing operation, and then implement it for you. Book a 30-minute strategy session with us to get your game store marketing plan created for free. It's yours to keep either way, so you really have nothing to lose. Go to manaversaga.com forward slash MMA to book your call, and let's take your game store to the next level. Welcome to the Manaverse podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly, local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you are listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at manaversaga.com. Today, we've got Jameson Sachs on the podcast. Jameson is the owner of Common Ground Games in Dallas. Founded in 2013 by Jameson and DR Hansen, Common Ground Games is a premier retail and gaming space for all of Dallas, Fort Worth to enjoy and has well over a thousand five star reviews across Facebook and Google, which is a very good indicator. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Jameson. Thanks for having me. <laughs> No problem. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk about Common Ground Games. Uh, You were actually recommended to me to reach out to you. I've been meaning to do it for a long time, but Gary Ray specifically said, hey, you got to go talk to this guy. (laughs) I want to hear from him. So I'm really uh, jazzed to jump into the conversation.
1: Gary Gary is very nice. I actually, uh, my store manager was one of his employees years ago.
0: Oh, yeah. well, that, that's an interesting story, I'm sure. Yeah. But before we get into that, <laughs> let's talk about the origin story. How did Common Ground Games come into existence? Why did you uh, get into this business? What's this all about? <laughs> so Common Ground Games
1: actually comes from a midlife crisis, more or less. Um, but in reality, I've been working in comic, comic book and game stores. My second job ever when I was 14 was a comic book store. and I've been working in them. Anywhere from part time to running other stores for other people Um, all throughout into my 20s I was working in them and then I kind of left the major part of like. Actually like full time working in them and went and worked in the IT industry for years and still even part time was working for different stores and things like that, and then literally uh, in my late 30s. I was working for a fortune 500 company working for their internal support desk and got to the point where every day when I came to work, I had to like sit in my car for a little while so that I wouldn't like start crying because it was just so terrible. Just, I'm not built for corporate environments. Like I, I can't work for people who don't know how to do my job, you know, like Mm. people telling me how to do something when they're just wrong, just after a while, just really wears you down. And, uh, I probably would have at that at that job i probably would have gotten fired within six months from my uh inability to um keep my mouth shut more or less you know i was constantly pointing out problems and things that weren't working and i was being told constantly that they don't like that rather than trying to fix the problems (laughs) it's like okay uh but i was listening to npr one morning before going into work and uh they were interviewing a woman and i really wish i could remember her name but she'd written this book And one of the things she was talking about was that in this country, we're raised with this, um, do what you're good at, do what you're good at. And she said, that's actually a very toxic um, sort of thought process. She's like, what you really should do is do what you love because you can become good at anything. And I sat there and it was just like this like moment of like, oh, I'm good at this work. I don't really love it. I just, I've always been good at it. So I like, you know, I can do it. And I, and I kind of thought about it and I was like, the only time I really enjoyed going to work. Is when I worked at comic and game stores those like it made me happy I, I liked that environment literally six months later coming Ground games was open. <laughs> I went home that night and told my husband all I did at work that day was sit there and make plans. And I went home and told my husband, and I think I shocked him a lot with that, but at the end of the at the end of the conversation he was like yeah let's figure this out, because I think he could see just how overwhelmingly like i wanted like this and it wasn't just a oh this is a really fun idea let's do this like i had half a business plan written by the time i got home. <laughs> you know so yeah meant to um, be. yeah and so it was it worked out really well um my good friend who owns zeus comics here in dallas has been open for gosh i think almost 25 years now and i'd actually worked for him in the past he had recently moved locations to a location he wasn't certain was gonna work and it actually worked out better because it was so accessible. Because one of the things about being in a very large metro area is, this, and this is, while c- certain areas are very popular, parking and driving to them can be really difficult. <laughs> and so he kind of moved into a less seemingly like area where you'd wanna be, it kind of felt a little office parky, but it's off of two major highways and it's real easy to get to and it has big open roads. And thousands of people drive past it every day because it's a major thoroughfare. And the spaces next to him were empty. So it kind of just worked out perfectly. It was like, cool, he doesn't do games. I was used to joke, if, if he didn't have a controller, he didn't really know anything about it when it came to games. So it was kind of a perfect match because having done comics in the past, I never wanted to deal with that side of the business again if I didn't have to. And then I was like, great, we can just do the games.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So this was a pair up kismet kind of thing partnership yeah. worked out that way
1: yeah it, it worked out great too because you know there was he still had a lot of customers that still knew me from when I was working there and things like that and so and it we actually opened up our first day we specifically had planned it out so on I think it was actually May 5th of 2013 um, was free comic book day he has this, you know, huge line out in front of his store every year for Free Comic Book Day. Well, that huge line was now sitting standing in front of a game store they'd never seen before, and a whole bunch of his customers were like, "Oh my god, I've always wanted games." Because surprisingly, there was nothing really in Dallas for games. It was all in the suburbs. The at that at that point, it was literally from when we opened, the closest drive from our store to another game store
0: was 30 minutes. Wow.
1: Yeah, and that was driving out to, like, Bedford.
0: (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Is it still that way, or is it, like, Um, more dense as we've gone on?
1: There's, like, one little one, um, not, like, in a different part of town. And if traffic is good, you can get up to uh, Boardwalk in Carrollton in probably 25 minutes. So it's not much closer. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, we just – and then – Dallas is really expensive. And I think we managed to also hit one of the last areas where you're not going to be paying 30 and $40 a square foot for, for space. And so we kind of entrenched ourselves in and we've grown since then so much that it's, it just kind of works, you know?
0: Oh, that's awesome. sounds like you got a really great situation right off the bat where you kind of hit the right space with the right overhead, with the right partner. Yeah, like a lot of things lined up really well initially exactly. for this thing to to launch. Yeah,
1: I I always like to say that uh, opening up your opening up a business is like throwing yourself off a cliff, and it it really should scare you a lot. But I've found over through my life the things that scare me the most are usually the things that are because I'm the most excited about them, and I'm usually going to do everything I can to make sure that you know there's somebody there to catch us. And then this time uh, the community built up really quickly and caught us really
0: well. Mm, I like that. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And definitely a, <clears throat> I would say the experience of having this like, yeah, vision, I'm going to do this thing and this is what I really want. And I just clicked. Right. Yeah. I'm sure there is probably a lot of store owners who have kind of had that moment of I'm done with my corporate job. I'm done with whatever my, my life is at the moment. I'm going to go do what I want. Right. I'm yeah. putting this off forever. I'm going to go do the thing that I want.
1: Yeah. I, I just also, <laughs> I'm so, uh, analytical that it was, I also you know it wasn't like going to be like, Oh, this is a cool thing I want to do. I was like, Nope, this is going to be what we do for a living. So it needs to be a business. It needs to make us money. And you know, it can be a really cool thing, but I, I was like, no, we're going, we're going to live off of this. And I think also having been with other game stores and stuff, especially at the begin, a lot of them, when I started working for them, they were really like zero to six months kind of spacing. So I saw a lot of things that I was like, ooh, I knew not to do that. <laughs> like mm. I had a lot of experience working in those kind of situations.
0: I'm sure that helped a lot as well. I'm sure I... the experience of working in the industry in some sense, and in the past as an employee, gave you a great perspective on what you would need to do once you become the owner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It. Whenever people ask me for advice, I always tell them that's. In reality, that's going to be your best thing, no matter what is if you can find someplace like that, to to do that. Because I think a lot of them, if they did that, they probably would never open a store.
0: <laughs> Just because. Probably not. It's... Once you realize what it entails. Yeah. At least initially, when you're, when you are the ground floor and there's no one else, or there's only you know maybe a couple other people, but you're doing most of the work yourself for that first. It- first you know couple of years maybe yeah you better get used to it
1: it was especially it was just me and my husband was still working his full-time job so it was just me most of the time um we didn't do any outside investment this was all money we raised ourselves we did not want to be beholden to anybody else I w- the whole point was is like no I, I I want to do this my way and I don't want to have to convince other people like you know that I know what I'm doing and that sort of thing so it was just all us so we didn't I think it was a year before we even had our first employee, a little over a year, I think, yeah which was yeah. which was one of Gary Ray's old employees.
0: <laughs> well, it's a good one to pick up, I think uh yeah, we've been probably well trained at that point
1: exactly they had a they already had a good perspective on how to do things, and so yeah, it was a definitely a win on our part,
0: yeah, for sure. How thought out was the business plan? Like you said, you you came home that day and you were like, "I've got half of business. Let's get let's get started on this." Thing. I have mean, got this whole thing rolled out.
1: We we did. I did that. Like I had a lot of the concepts and everything already done, and then I literally went and got um some software. So went online and found like a business plan template software thing, and just started going through it. And I was doing all the numbers and everything, and doing all the things that I really like. People need to do like going and finding the population and the density and all these things, the average incomes, of the areas and making sure that like my crazy idea actually had math behind it. So that I actually could go to a bank and be like, Hey, give me money because look, this is going to work. And it, the, the business plan made sense, like totally, we're going to be able to do this. The funny thing is, is we destroyed the business plan. By the end of the first year we were at where we thought we would be at year three, by the end of the second year, we were past where the business plan said we would even be at year five, you know? So it was just like, oh, okay. I was way too conservative, but at the end of the day, I would much rather be conservative. And I think that's, unfortunately, some people when they're doing business plans, don't, aren't conservative. They don't think about like the worst case scenario. And that's really where you, where you should be with that.
0: Yeah. Don't build your plan on the optimistic side of things because <laughs> no. there's a good chance that that's not going to be the reality of what the situation will be when you get rolling. Exactly. exactly. But if you can survive on the conservative side of things, that's a great indicator that, you know, even if things don't roll out as easily as as you'd hoped, you can still make a go of it. It's still a yep. potential. Yep. Yeah. I've talked a lot about the business plan. I've had a lot of people come on, on the podcast and say how important the business plan has been to their Business to the to their success eventually in the uh, in the long run, and it's really interesting because a lot of the time they'll say, "I did the business plan, I put all this thought and effort into it, and then I like I pretty much put it in a drawer and I never looked at it again," <laughs> or the business itself, like the way things evolved naturally, like it didn't resemble the business plan at all. Like you said, like the numbers for you, the reality was like you were you you know went off and yeah. completely blew it out of the water but the exercise of doing the business plan is still something really valuable even if your numbers are completely off and you're like your expectations are wrong just the work of doing it is important
1: yeah I mean it, it really did like you know we took how much money you know we would have and so it's forced us to be like okay what fixtures are we getting what what can we spend on product you know we knew that like at first there would be no other employee you know I, I you know I worked it down to electricity costs you know utility costs all these sort of things you know and some people don't like even the electricity costs, I was, I, I got lucky. They, I didn't realize that because um, they had literally just replaced the HVAC system in my space, so my electricity was a lot less than I thought it would be because the system was newer and it was actually not using, even though it was super good and really cold in there, it wasn't using as near as much electricity as we thought it would be. You know, just doing all that sort of work and things. So we were constantly being like, oh, okay. After a while, I was like, okay, I'm going to put you in the drawer now because. I, this this doesn't make any sense to keep looking at this at this point because we're so far beyond it
0: i'm interested did you ever revisit it and like replan for where you uh, were at later on
1: no um i probably should have uh I, I mean i kind of did at the beginning of the pandemic but that was like when we were trying to make a lot of decisions about things but even then what i was planning ended up that wouldn't have been useful anyway <laughs> with the way the pandemic went for us so uh you know, it was just like, okay, so it, it's been one of those things where it's in a drawer over there, you know, it's quiet, quiet, quiet and piece of history over there. But, you know, nowadays, you know, we have all the accounting and stuff like that, that I can look at and do all that sort of thing and all the item history and that sort of stuff and see where we are and trending and things like that. I mean, at this point, we've literally had, uh, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary at the beginning of May, and we've literally had 10 solid years of growth. We've had, I think, overall in 10 years, like four or five months that weren't higher than the month of the year before of that same month. So we're doing something spectacular. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that
0: is spectacular. If you had to maybe narrow down a little bit and say, I think these are the things that I'm doing really well that are responsible for this trajectory we've been on, what would you say are the things that make you make common ground stand out?
1: Um one customer service has always been a big thing for us. Um, That is the number one thing. It helps us create community. Um, I used to get a complimented a lot. Uh, People would be like, you know, it'd be like the second time they'd walk in and I'd call them by name and they'd look at me like, how do you do that? And and it's little tricks like, well, we created a reward program that people would sign up for. I don't really want to give away free money, but it helps me learn people's names, you know, and it helps my employees learn people's names and, it's little things like that, you know, we're giving back to them and they're giving us some information, you know? Um, so it, we take a lot of pride in the, our customer service aspects, you know, trying to help people. I always tell my employees, we're not here to sell things to people. People are going to buy stuff whether they want, whether regardless of what we try or tell them or anything. We're just here to help them find stuff, like talk to them, find out what might be, they don't, you know, what they are actually looking for, show them some other stuff, you know, because we get a lot of people who come in here and they've played, like, Catan, you know, and they have some comments about, you know, or some thoughts about, like, what they might want in a game. And, you know, they look around and they're like, I don't know where to start, you know, and so it's our job just to guide them. We call we call our employees librarians. They're just here to talk about the games and tell them what they, what they actually, uh, what they might want to play and that sort of thing. We also have a have always had a game demo wall. We have a event space. We've always had event space, and our um, game demo wall has always been a free to use. People can just come in, take a game off it, sit down, and learn how to play. Because you know, if somebody's going to spend fifty, sixty dollars on a game, I would love for them to try it out first and see if that's something they actually want to play. Because at the end of the day, if somebody buys something, takes it home, and then no matter how many times people have told them it's a great game, if them and their family kind of go oh, well, you know, we don't really like this. They're not going to associate that bad feeling with any of the people who told them it was a great game. They're going to associate it with the people who sold it to them, you know? And so if we can convince them to try it or show them the things so that they have a little bit better sense of it, I've always been very big on that. Um, I always feel like we run events really well. Like our events tend to have very few problems. We, you know, we've always been, we run a lot of events. We We do that so that we do that very well throughout the thing. And then I think it's also a little bit, um, obviously my husband and I are gay. <laughs> um, a lot of our staff are uh, LGBTQ, we're a very big part of the LGBT community. Um, and so we've been, we're known for being an open inclusive store. You know, we've we've become kind of a gathering place for a lot of people from all different walks of life, not just the LGBT community that, Uh, They know that they're safe and they're protected here and they don't have to worry about anything when they're in here. They don't have to mask themselves. And it's been a really cool thing to see over the years. I mean, we've people have met their boyfriends, girlfriends, wives here, you know, husbands here, all sorts of things. And it's just a really despite the fact that we're now like this 10,000 square foot giant store, a lot of people tell us it still just feels the same as it always has to them. And I think that really
0: is why we are so successful. I would say so. That's my guess as well. Sounding the way that you described it. I think a lot of, I think a lot of store owners underestimate the, the value or the importance of feeling safe and feeling welcome and like, like just how much that actually matters. We all know like clearly customer service, you know, you need a welcoming space. You need it to be clean. Well, lit. it should be nice. It should be, it should feel like, you know, you're, you're allowed to be there. Right. but also there's a there's more to it than that and it sounds like you've created an environment that really makes people feel like they're at home
1: yeah and that's what we want like I I've tried to explain this to other people who don't really get it whereas like growing up and going into game stores and stuff like that anytime I've walked into a place growing up where in my early 20s and stuff where I hadn't been in there before and I didn't know uh, you have to be really careful you have to wear this mask you have to guard yourself because you don't know how the people there are going to treat you you don't know if the store is going to stand up for you if something awful is said and that sort of thing and for people to kind of walk in here and realize really quickly oh no like from everything they've been told and they can see here they don't have to do that here it's just a, it's a different world for them it really is
0: yeah yeah, I'm sure if we were to ask your customers if they were yeah. here to be like, "Well, what do you love about coming Ground? What's 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 bringing them in?" I'm sure they probably have a similar answer. At least that's a, that's my guess. Is that that's probably so, why they keep coming back. Yeah,
1: I think I think so. At the end of the day, that and, you yeah. know we have some cool games here and there.
0: Yeah, that helps, right? The products, having cool products and cool games, helps. But yeah. It's, so much of what makes a game store, a game store, a friendly local game store, makes it a thing. That's not just another retail location. Exactly. Or just another business, right? Is this idea of the experience that you have when you're there and how it becomes a part of who you are and so much of how much you're identifying with the store. Like, it's crazy in a way to think about how many or how many people, like you said, have met their partners while playing games at a game store or, you know, built lifelong friendships yeah. yes that's certainly my experience that yeah. uh, absolutely
1: i mean yeah. anybody can walk into like a, nowadays can walk into a target or something like that and buy a game but if you go up and ask somebody at target you know anything there about the stuff they're going to be like the target nearest us they go well there's actually this place called common ground games down on the street <laughs> like a lot of the employees will tell people to come here because they're like we don't we don't know like you know and that's the difference you know we don't we're not asking you if there's anything i can help you with today we're asking you what can we sh- what, what what can we help you find you know so it's yeah it's a big difference
0: yeah and i i appreciate the idea of coming at it from a guidance point of view or just a a value first i'm trying to help you first yeah. point of view instead of saying you know i got 15 copies of this game on the shelf that's the one you need right i'm gonna sell that one to you
1: yeah we we have uh in our new space here we have nine nine demo tables set up in the retail space where they can people can come up and try games some of the some of them just have like frosthaven is too heavy so it Mm -hmm. sits on there you know so people can see that we have it and that sort of thing but other things like you know we have boop and earth on tables right now you know so people can try it out because there's nothing quite like explaining boop to people they kind of look at you like okay sure but they play it and they're like yep i'm just gonna put this in my basket and take this with me you know and that's that's what we want if we have a whole bunch of it on a table with a demo there's a reason for that it's because we believe in it and we want you to try it
0: yeah yeah there is a there's a balance between the two right you are the knowledgeable advisor you know what certain games are definitely going to be yeah. Some winners, right? You know, people are going to be interested and this is going to be a game for you. So let me tell you why it's going to be a game for you. Exactly. And the idea of having this hands-on experience, there's nothing quite like that, right? Yeah. You need, like, especially with uh, with board games, you know, we used to demo, or <laughs> I think way back in the day, you used to be able to go to things like Jumbo Video and rent a video game. Yep. That's how you knew, like, oh, yeah, this, you know, I'm, I'm a kid. I don't want to spend $80 on a video game without knowing that I want to play it first. So you go and you rent it. Try it out, you know, or you play it at your friend's house or something like that. But for board games, it's a little bit more challenging. Yeah. But having that hands-on experience and and feeling it and feeling the mechanics and seeing you know the people across the table experience it at the same time as you, there's nothing quite like that. And yeah. having those demo tables, I think, is a really important aspect of of selling those those board games. And I again. I'm sure you are, uh, you said you're an analytical guy. You've probably done the numbers and and looked at like the difference on on what's demoed versus what's not. Like, how does it play out?
1: I tell every publisher that doesn't want to sell us a demo copy of things. I'm like, I, I can generally tell you that when I put a demo copy of something on the wall and I can show it to people, it's much easier for us to sell it. You know, and there's plenty of games that I just believe in enough that, you know, fine, we'll just buy a copy at regular price just so we can put it out you know um some publishers are really good about it others aren't but like last year when flamecraft came out you know, we sold 120 copies of that in like a week and a half because it, it was a fun game and it was cute and it so on the table it looks really good you know and so it just vanished and at BG we sell at BGGCon we sold we brought 60 because that was all we could spare and we sold 60 in four hours Like, they were gone, and for the rest of the weekend, people kept coming over being like, do you have any more Flamecraft? It's like, no, sorry. (laughs) Like, that was a lot, and it was gone. It was a hot item. It was very much so. Heck, when we got the restock uh, two weeks ago, our little notification thing, I didn't realize how many people had had that on, like, notify me when it came back in, and it was, like, two pages. When I was looking through the app, I was, like, two pages. It was something like 50-something notifications went out for and i was like wow i was like people did not get their copies of that game
0: yeah i cannot get enough of it yeah. now here's an interesting question how do you know which games are going to be flamecraft how do you know they're going to be the boops of 2023 like how do you how do you determine that
1: um it is unfortunately mostly voodoo uh <laughs> is, there are some things you can look at and go okay this designer you know this these components that sort of thing sure um sometimes it's i i unlike a lot of my peers who've been doing this f- for this long i still really love board games and i still play them every week and like meet up with a game group and have friends and i pay attention to things on bgg and i'm looking at all this sort of stuff and so i can sit there and like sift through this information and go cool a lot of people are talking about this like i managed to um double our order of earth the earth board game uh last week and luckily, they still had more Kickstarter copies that they were able to sell us because I had some of our biggest spenders asking about it. And I was like, "If these people are asking me about it. Then this is a game that everybody's going to want, you know, and they were specifically being like, do you have the Kickstarter edition coming in? You know, and it's, it's a lot of that different things. The Kickstarter changed a lot of stuff. So sometimes I'm looking at things like a year before I'm ever going to see it and see that much about it. And I have to go, would I want to play this game? And do I think I can sell this to people and that sort of thing? And I'm lucky that maybe one out of 20 we get in and nobody seems like it's just dead, like DOA kind of thing. But overall, I think that's a really good, like, I'm, I think I'm batting really well when it comes to that sort of stuff. Some 100%. games, sure. Some games don't perform as well as I would like. You know, and some games have like that big burst at the beginning and then, you know, there's like six copies that just don't want to seem to leave after two years and it's like, okay, clearance shelf time for you, you know, but overall, like, it really is just a matter of the fact that, you know, I like to play several of my employees play board games constantly, you know, I, I know that I can order heavy on Vital Lacerda games because one of my employees he's the guy who he can talk about these $150 boxes full of wood pieces, and he makes people love them. You know, like he, they, he's, he's so infectious about it. People, they, they, they get into these games and they enjoy them because he knows how to talk to the people who probably are going to want to play that game, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's a little bit of mixture of that and knowing what my employees are going to be able to get into. And, you know, we go through the, um, Game trade magazines and things like that and they will point out things they'll be like get this i w- i want this i will sell this to people you know kind of thing so it like i said it's voodoo it's all throwing all these things into a vat and shaking it up a little and hoping
0: that the little magic comes out of it and having your ear to the ground and really understanding what you know what's popular i, I like yeah. i really like the idea of like okay these individuals i pay attention to them because they kind of have like an indicator about what everything else is going to do. They're like the key movers in a sense.
1: Yeah. I think it's a really
0: interesting idea.
1: Yeah. You, and you can, you can tell like when, when you get a lot of people asking for certain things, even if they're, it's really interesting. We'll get people asking us for games all the time, like through social media and stuff. And I I'll look at am like, they've never bought anything here, but they'll ask us all the time if we're getting it. And I think it's really funny. Um, yes. I think they're just waiting for that time that we happen to have it when nobody else does kind of thing. Um, you know but it's still it's that kind of stuff that paying enough attention to it you know it really helps like you can kind of discern where where you need to be looking
0: at at least yeah absolutely and it's again it's funny also to uh to contrast that with you also have to be careful yeah. not everybody is worth listening to
1: Correct. (laughs) there's
0: a very large contingent or some portion of the people who are, you know, extremely loud. They're like, you should be doing this. You should be doing these these events. Why aren't you carrying this game, game line and all this other stuff? And like, "Mm, be careful listening to certain people because they're not the ones who are going to be paying your bills.
1: Right. And that's, you know, you, you, if you're paying enough attention, you'll learn really quickly who's, who's, who's supporting your store and who's really not, you know, and what's, what's happening there and that sort of thing. And, you know listening to online communities sometimes can be so i don't know like people can be so negative for no reason you know and the amount of the amount of other store owners who i hear talk about like i don't know why people bother carrying Catan or ticket to Ride, you know they can get it cheaper on amazon and i'm like yeah a couple times a year they can but it, we we sell like 40 or 50 copies of Catan a year like why would you not carry it people go into a game store and kind of expect it to see it there you know and Sure, it goes through spurts and things like that, but I would never not have that on my shelf. You know, same with Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride is one of those games that, as far as I'm concerned, if somebody comes in and says, we don't really have any place to start, we heard about this board game thing, Ticket to Ride is the game we to them. I, a lot of people get told Catan, and I always hate that because Catan, you have no chance of winning if somebody else is teaching you how to play that game. None, because it is all about the first couple turns and you don't know what you're what you're really doing. Ticket to Ride, you can be halfway through the game and it suddenly clicks for you and you can pull ahead real easy. And so you actually have a chance of winning. And that makes a huge difference to people when they understand that, oh, I actually can win this and I've never played this before. It's actually a much better experience than, oh, I just played this game. Now I know how to play it. So let's actually play again
0: kind
1: of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, I like that differentiation. And I think that that indicates or that leads to the idea of like when you're teaching somebody when someone is something for the first time it's really important that they have a good experience exactly time. exactly and like i i i think uh normally like i i looked magic because that's that's been my thing my, my magic's my game for yep. ever basically since i was a kid and i've had many friends that i've introduced to the game or people that i've introduced to the game and you can see there's a big difference between somebody who comes in and, you know, like they're trying the game out for the first time and they get crushed, right? They, they go to their first F and they just get run over by everybody else who's just, they're there to win. They're not there nope. to have fun. And this kid is just trying to figure things out and they're just getting annihilated, right? They're never coming back. No. Nope. They're not going to be you know, like, oh, yeah, this was a great, great experience. I loved playing, you know, these games. They're just being completely steamrolled and not having, not knowing what the rules were. It was always so much fun versus somebody who's had a really good time and somebody took the time and said, no, no, like maybe you don't want to attack that way. Like change it up a little bit. Like this will increase your odds of winning, you know, like, like try to play, like giving them hints and making it uh, you know, like a little bit more uh, conducive to the learning experience, right? Like making it a little bit more fun for yeah. them and how we, much of a difference that actually makes. We, so we, like.
1: sorry. Yeah. We, we saw that in magic all the time. We had the most organic. I actually didn't really like i used to be big into magic in my early 20s and stuff like that um and when i was working for other game stores and when i sold out of it i was kind of like done and when we were opening i had i was like oh i know we're gonna have to do magic again i didn't really expect it to be that big of a deal for us though Mm -hmm. and like i even had gone in like the weekend we opened was actually the weekend dragon's maze came out and i had been going to like some other stores and relearning magic because it was really different now like, I mean, the last time I had played, damage was still on the stack and things like that. So it was a real different, uh, it was funny to me because to me, it was actually easier. Like, like as much as some people didn't like those rules changes, I was like, oh, shit, you, this, the strategy of this is much simpler now. It's much more direct, um, mm-hmm. but our magic community grew really fast and it grew very organically. And luckily it grew very, um, I, I was very stringent about certain things about, you know, hey, there's kids in here, you don't get to swear you know you can't treat people like this you know you know you know act like adults things like that and it was really cool to watch how these people actually very organically were like oh okay well we like playing here so we're going to adopt this attitude too and you know at fnm and stuff like that you you very like sure there are always a couple people who just winning is the most important thing to them but for the most part it was hey no like if i show this person like if i help them they're going to want to come back you know and we're going to help grow the community and stuff like that and you know, we're very big on um, doing like sealed for FNM because that's the best way for new players to just get into the game and, you know, have a good time because everybody just opened up packs and they get to play. And it's usually the only other thing they've played is pre-release. So it's the most similar experience for them and it helps them build up their collection and things like that. And it's, it's, it's one of those weird things I never thought I would say early on after experiencing magic at other stores (laughs) that I was like, Mm. how proud and amazing I are, how proud I am of our Magic community and how amazing it really is overall. Like we've been able to do some really cool things and just even after the pandemic, having to restructure and set up again and just watching those people come back and everything has been really great.
0: Yeah. I think the, the idea of the toxic magic player, it's definitely a thing. Like they're out there. Right. But I think it's also one of the, uh, one of the more interesting and important principles that I've learned in my life in general is that we do things that shape the environment and then the environment shapes us. Yep. There's a circle. There's a feedback loop. And the idea, but we get to choose and a lot of the time the environment that we're in. And as the owner of the store, as the person who's facilitating this whole thing that's going on, you get to choose what that looks like. And you yeah. can shape it. You can curate it. And you can do things to create the environment that pull well, that turns people away from the classic toxic player mentality, right? You can do that and you can turn people who might end up going down that path, going down the other path of being the advocate, being somebody who is a, a friend who's, you know, building people up, like you said, building the community and organically doing it just because it's, it's, they've been shaped that we've been incentivized that way, but also it's, you know, it's a mutually beneficial thing. Like when they realize it, it clicks and you're like, oh, so if I make sure that this person has a good time, that means I have someone else to play with long-term, right? There's more people in the community for me to benefit from. So like it's Absolutely. a win-win for everybody, but you have to be explicit and go out and do that yourself. You have to make sure that happens. Yeah, Because if not, we, you know, we're humans. We tend to default to whatever the lowest common denominator is if we're not kind of doing it by uh, intention.
1: Yeah. we. It's It's been interesting to watch too, occasionally the self-correcting, like where some people kind of like, oh, like, I was an asshole and now nobody will talk to me. And then like the next week they show up, they're really nice and kind of chill, you know, and like that. And then there's the people who like just never show back up and it's, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, nobody would talk to me and that sort of thing. And it's like, well, you know, maybe you need to look at how you were treating other people and wonder why, you know, nobody wanted to talk to you or be around you. You know, we can't really help you if you're not gonna, you know, play in play in our pond, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. Uh, So it's, it's, it's really it's really kind of cool like though to see stuff like that and and know that at a certain point like I was able to like step back and I the community was able to like take care of itself without, you know, me standing over there like uh, you know, dad watching everybody to make sure they were going to do everything every minute wrong and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, there's definitely like a period at the beginning where you have to do that. You have to be the dad to make sure that it's all going facilitating well, it's all going properly, but then Eventually, when you get to the certain, I don't know, this threshold of enough people who know what's what and they understand what's expected of them. They understand what the culture of the community is supposed to be. And then it just sort of becomes self-reinforcing. Yeah. It's kind of the like you created the first this time,
1: thing. The first time I heard somebody say, we don't say that in this store was like one of the happiest moments in my life. <laughs> like, I like, was like, he is absolutely correct. We do not. You know, so it's just kind of like,
0: cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great sign that you've done a good job imprinting this ideal of what you want the community to be. And it's it's stuck, right? It's a yeah. lasting impression.
1: Yeah. And that's that's what I think that's what it takes nowadays too, because I know some people really complain about Arena, but I really like Arena. It's actually brought a lot of people to us. Um mm. Yeah, like we, especially when it when it first came out and like before the pandemic really happened and everything, and it was really just starting to get out there and everything, we were seeing a lot of people who are like, I've been playing Arena online. I hadn't played since like Tempest and, you know, I kind of want to get back into Magic. And we were seeing a lot of that. And it's really nice nowadays because a lot of new people come in and they're like, yeah, I've been playing on Arena. I already know the basics, but like playing in person is really different because you're having to remember everything, you know, and they, but at least it's a much, it's a much easier starting point than just having a friend, like having shown them the basics and then them finding out there are 3000 other rules that they were never taught. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's been pretty, it's like I said, like I, there are definitely some points to arena that I'm like, Oh, I wish they would do this a little bit better here or there that could help the stores more. But like I said, overall, I really don't have a problem with it. It actually has been very beneficial for us. I think overall,
0: it's a good on ramp for new people to try out the game and get a feel for it. And then hopefully it turn, it translates into, well, this is something I like doing. And maybe there's something else, maybe there's somebody else I would like to play with. And I've heard it's in person. I've heard these cards are real. And it's not just on a computer or not just on your phone or whatever. I can go buy some real cards, check it out. Okay.
1: Well, they do uh, a much better job now, too, of like when you open it up, like there's a lot of like pre release at your local store and things like that. So. You know, compared to when it first came out, there was a lot of like, "Go buy it on Amazon," which we were always like, "Why?" Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, Good job, wizards. <laughs> you know, like, um, hi. Remember us over here? you know? Uh. So yeah. Like I said, it. We get. I've heard a lot of weird, like different differing opinions over Arena a lot, but I tend to. It's not going anywhere, <laughs> so, you know, you gotta gotta learn to just live with it and use it to your own advantage
0: yeah it's only gonna get more prevalent as we go along and that's not necessarily a bad thing
1: yeah i mean lord the lord of the Rings set will be the first non-standard set that comes out on arena at the same time so that's going to be interesting and i i have a feeling that's going to people getting to play with that is going to drive a lot of people into wanting to come play at the store because that's the thing we have we've We've already got a lot of pre-orders for Lord of the Rings and a lot of them were for people that haven't bought Magic from us before. So I consider that a huge win.
0: Oh, absolutely. The Lord of the Rings set is going to be it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Yeah. And it's probably for me it's probably the most uh, the best crossover so far. The idea it's, of like this IP kind of working together with Magic is just match made in heaven kind of situation. Yeah.
1: As one that you're going to do for a full set that's not something they own because technically uh adventures of the forgotten realm was technically the first crossover if you really look at it that way um but like as the first like this isn't something we own and we can't really say it's part of our universe technically I think that was a very smart idea on their part because you're taking one of the most well-known and most beloved fantasy things in the world which is very easy to translate into magic cards you know whereas the Warhammer stuff Warhammer decks were Awesome, and they're really fun. But I'm certain that there was a lot more thought process involved in, like, how do we make this futuristic thing work as a magic card?
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. I remember way back in the day when they made the decision that guns, gunpowder, that was going to be like a cross. That was a line that they were not going to cross. Long, long time ago. Like that. Anymore. You know, that was that <laughs> left the realm of fantasy, and they, they were that's not magic. Obviously, they've, uh, you know, I guess chainsaw swords is enough to be like this is okay, this is close enough.
1: I mean, but, they uh, they kind of, I mean, they already basically had lasers and things like that. I mean, some of the planes are well beyond gunpowder and things. So yeah. it's just like, oh yeah. okay,
0: yeah, it didn't seem that on. You know. But uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely a product I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure there's a lot of customers, a lot of people who are just, you know lord of the rings fans and they've heard of this this new product coming out and this this sounds interesting and maybe they've been close enough to magic to know about it but never jump into it and that's perfect reason to give it a shot right
1: we saw a lot of people we saw a lot of people buying forgotten realms stuff just for the art and i have a Mm. feeling we will see that with lord of the rings as well where as far as they're concerned they don't care that it's a game it's to them it's just like a trading card you know, like it's got cool art that they've never seen before for their favorite characters. And they're going to want that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's going to bring in the collectors, not just the the players, which (laughs) is great overlap. Yep. Yeah. So what to go all the way back into business conversation, boring stuff. What is the hardest part about being a game store owner?
1: Probably the hardest thing for me, at least is that, uh, the sense of worry, the, uh, we have 12 employees and that kind of sense of like, I'm responsible for them. Like mm. my decisions directly affect, you know, their lives, you know, like this, this business needs to remain stable. We have people who depend on us now. And for me, that's like, that's a hard thing sometimes. Like, you know, it's not like it's just me and my husband and, you know, sure. That's still a lot of responsibility, but now our decisions directly affect all these other people's lives. You know, and so that that to me is a lot. Like it's it's a lot. Um, beyond that, <laughs> accounting is the worst. <laughs> I I opened up with a bookkeeper, straight up day one. One of my friends was a bookkeeper for American Airlines. He had so much experience that it was ridiculous, and he wanted to start like his own little side business. And I was like, "Hi, customer number one, right here." And he's been with us the entire ten years so far. Um, but we're finally so big now that he's like, you have to go to a real accounting firm now. He's like, I can't do this anymore.
0: <laughs> so, that is a great indicator that you are on the right track.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it's just it's just too much work for him, you know. And he's he's like, I don't I don't want to run another business while working my full time job anymore. And I'm like, I get it, I get it, hmm. you know. I've I've learned more about accounting than I've ever wanted to in my life because. Sure. It's nice to be able to just hand somebody something and they do it. But to me, I'm just like, no, you should try and understand as many of the pieces of your business as you can. That way, if anything falls through the cracks, if somebody leaves, you can do what you need to do, you know, and that's, that's hard for some people because you're as a small business owner, you're everything you're, you know, you're the buyer, you're the seller, you're the accountant, you're the CPA, you're, you're doing this, all, all this stuff and you have to know, kind of how to do it all you know and there's a lot of a lot to it
0: yeah in a lot of ways being a business owner is one of the toughest toughest jobs in the world i would say like yeah the idea of being you know this small business owner you know as as it's phrased with like capital letters yeah the small (laughs) business owner anything but small in in so many ways yeah and it's yeah, it's challenging, and I think the idea of, of having at least a little bit of expertise, a little bit of knowledge in all the different areas that you might have to fill the go out, fill the gaps in, that, that that can certainly help you, right? Yeah, it can, it can certainly help you because there will be times where you have to fill in the gaps.
1: Absolutely, and you and you want to have a good understanding too, so that like if there's problems, you 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 can see problems before they you know pop up and that sort of thing you need to understand if somebody's not doing something correctly and being able to see that these things are you know problems and that sort of stuff and it's a it's a little bit of a one of the great parts about being adhd is you know i can focus on a lot of things (laughs) i my brain wants a lot of information coming at it and it's actually helpful for me in this job because sometimes i some days i can't focus and I can't get anything done, but then I'll have a day where it's like, cool, I just did like three weeks worth of work and in a day, you know, (laughs) just like, but it's all done, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a lot. Um, As long as as
0: those, those days show up once every three weeks, you stay ahead you're good.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) But yeah, the, the, the people aspect, like between having to worry about that, managing people and all that sort of thing, like it, I think that's honestly the hardest part of running a small business when when you're once you start hiring and having employees it it changes the very nature of everything because you also while when you're hiring people you hope that they can fill in fall into your vision and that sort of thing but everybody's made up of different things and they're always going to have their own ideas and stuff like that and you kind of it's a great thing though because you want that kind of mix so that the store becomes more than just you, you know, you want to be able to take vacations and <laughs> things like that. And, you know, know that it's not going to stop working. You know, you want to be, able, you know, I, as you can see, I have an office now. <laughs> I'm like, I get to sit back and I, I like to go up front several times a day and see who's out there and, you know, see if I can help with things and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's nice to know that unless something's wrong, I'm not really needed up front anymore. Like I can be back doing the things that I need to do
0: yeah absolutely that's a great place to be in follow up question what are the things that you need to be doing (laughs) where you're at now you're at the 10-year mark what does your day-to-day look like
1: Oi. um lots and lots of emails um Mm -hmm. i feel like i spend way more time worrying about taxes than i than any human should have to especially at this time of year um our books are very complicated uh, because between our size and the fact that, you know, we get income from Square, Shopify, TCG, you know, all these sort of things. So we have all these different systems and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, I am still the primary buyer. Like, that is my main job is, you know, doing the ordering and doing all that sort of stuff. And while we have an inventory manager who can deal with all the receiving and the problems and things like that, I'm the one going through and deciding on what we should be carrying and that sort of stuff. Um Lately, it seems like I've been doing lots of interviews. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a lot of talking to different reps. A lot of talking, like we also don't order from just one or two. Like we order from all five major distributors. We order direct from a lot of different people. So I'm kind of inundated with information a lot that I'm constantly going through. Um, I'm also I, we jokingly realized the other day I'm CEO, CFO, CIO, and CTO. <laughs> And uh, 16 years of IT work means that you know, technologically, we're a little more advanced than a lot of game stores. <laughs> you yeah. know, we have very nice network, computers, things like that, because I'm able to put that stuff together and maintain it and that sort of thing. The other day, I realized for some reason. So we moved into a new space uh, just about a year ago. Um, we went from 4,000 square feet to 10,000 square feet. It was a very needed upgrade. Um, And I realized a couple weeks ago that for some reason, I never put a phone in my office. (laughs) Like, So whenever we get phone calls that I actually need to talk to somebody, they would have to trudge back here and hand me the phone. And, And one day it happened like three times in one day. And it's rare that somebody like most people I need to talk to aren't just calling me on my cell phone, but there are people who do call online and I talked to them that way. And it was just one of those moments of like the third time that happened that one day, I could see in my employees eyes, like, really, I'm doing this again. And I was like, I, I don't have a phone back here. And then I realized, like, the manager doesn't have a phone at her desk and the inventory manager doesn't have a phone at his desk. And it was like, I need a phone system, you know? And so then I started into the whole, like, okay, like, let's explore all our options here. And you know, and so then like the past couple days, I've been installing a phone system. You know, so
0: lots of you get to wear lots of hats. <laughs> you know, the work never ends.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure that's probably a common theme amongst everybody you interview is the amount of things that you know they ever learned about plumbing that they never wanted to know, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Everybody you know, has the experience of going from, Hey, I started my business. And then all of a sudden now I'm, I'm wearing all those hats. I'm a janitor. I'm the customer service person. I also have to, you know, uh, uh, troubleshoot the cash register and figure out what's going on there. Like there's all these things that you know, just randomly happen. You have to learn those skills, Yeah, but uh, it's really interesting. And I feel like there's probably a common thread, a common path for store owners who've, gotten to the point where you're at, where you've, you've moved far enough away from the front counter that you can be in the back office. You do have, you know, the team that works for you. You can step away without your store burning down, but then like your role changes and the things that are important or the most important things that you can do during the day change, right? Yeah. But the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole, uh, I'm now the primary buyer, like you are always the primary buyer, but now it, it becomes like your primary role. In some sense, you are shaping the inventory from afar. Uh, That seems to be a common evolution. That's something that becomes part of it. Uh, Even store owners who I've, I've spoken to who have multiple locations and huge teams, it's still, that's an aspect of the business that they are maybe reluctant to let go. Or just it's hard to find someone who can replicate it as well as you could.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a very, again, it's voodoo when it comes down to it. And there can be some very logic of like no, learning how to order things. But at the end of the day, there's so many years of experience and different things you're looking at and whether or not you think you can sell and this sort of stuff. And, you know, you don't want to carry everything, but, you know, you do need to carry some of this and some of that. And it's really just a lot of emotionality, I guess, in it um for lack of a better term um so you're having to do that and i do think it is one of those things that most store owners like you don't want to give that up because that is the um one of the main parts of the heart of the store is having that inventory there you know and knowing that and so if it's on you you're the only one that can kind of be blamed for it at the end of the day too like if you don't have it if you have too much of it that sort of thing because there is that kind of that if you put that on somebody else and they're bad at it like how do you teach that and like great now we have all of this stock that we are never going to get rid of you know um mm. you know at least when you know there's that one game that's taunting you from the clearance shelf after five years or something like that you can at least teach your employees to laugh at you about that kind of thing you know and be happy when it finally does go away uh so it, it's just it's a really hard thing to teach just because you have to do it so heavily and so much when it's just you that eventually when you have all those other things taken away from you, you start to realize that you, it, it, how do you teach that without having somebody there with you doing it every day constantly? And, then, and generally, you're probably better off paying them to do other things.
0: Again, it's not a bad place to find yourself as well. Of all the things you could do, being the leader, shaping the team, and then kind of maintaining the heart and soul of what the business is all about. I think it makes sense to me. That's, that doesn't seem like it's a, a bad place to get to. No, it's, pretty good. it's a pretty good gig. <laughs> <laughs> For somebody who's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I, I want to open a game store at some point in the near future. I've got this you know, vision. I've got this idea. This is something that I really want to pursue. I'm sure you get this question a lot. What kind of advice would you give somebody today, 2023, you know, early, well, mid-April, what would you tell them leading up for the next like 12 months? What should they be thinking about?
1: Um, My joke, whenever somebody asks me this, my first thing I always say is don't. Um, The reality of the situation though is that it's don't do this unless you're willing to um, put in the work because it's... You're good. You need to do a business plan, and you need to be truthful about it. Because one of the biggest things I see is that I, I follow a lot of the different groups, and I'm in like the opening and ta- game store, you know, Facebook group and things like that. Because I will gladly give people advice if they're willing to receive it. And you know, the first thing I see a lot of times is you know, oh, you know, we're in this size of town, and we'll be the only be the fourth game store. And I'm just sitting there going that's that that size of town should only have one why why would you why would you be the fourth you know like where are you going to get customers from (laughs) like there's only so many people you know and so it's really the the next year is also going to be very interesting the hobby industry is still growing by leaps and bounds you know we just had a dungeons and dragons movie release and it was good (laughs) like i mean as as a kid like had you told me that i would have laughed at you you know but to see them spend 300 million on a movie and and it actually came out good like it was like oh wow okay um you know so we're still gonna see huge leaps in the hobby industry and still lots of influx it's you know it's no longer the thing that nerdy people do in their parents basement you know it is a very mainstream thing now and what we found a lot during the pandemic our business increased a lot we 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 spent two weeks making sure that uh we were when we were shut down making sure that our entire inventory was on our website and it synced to our pos and we started doing deliveries and we started getting all these people who were stuck at home couldn't go to work and they were going to play play board games now because after like a couple weeks they were like I think i've played every video game i want to play for a while and we thought a lot of them would be like oh this is the board game they buy and we'll never see them again kind of thing and the amount of them who became board game enthusiasts has been so heartwarming like they are now like they are addicted to this hobby they've really gotten into it and those people didn't just dry up once the quote unquote was quote unquote over you know and so it's I think we're still going to be seeing a lot of that as more people get into it, more people share their experience with board games. You're still going to get more people going into it. And that's both good and bad because the industry is still growing and it's grown in such leaps and bounds and in ways it never expected to, that there's lots and lots of growing pains. And Mm
0: -hmm. there's
1: going to be lots of, I think, missteps and mistakes that companies make and different ways. And it's going to be really hard for people to adjust in like, in the past, a lot of stores have always um, relied on TCGs to like be the backbone of their income and that sort of thing. And new stores don't get that access anymore. Like, sure, you can get Magic, but Pokemon, a lot of these other games, they're gonna, they're still having a hard time giving me everything I uh, after ten years. Like, the, what I order now, like they can't fulfill it all, and they're going with the people that they've already got you know, ten years of experience of them getting paid on time and things like that with before they're gonna send any to new accounts and that sort of thing. So it's you know, real hard to figure out where you're going to how how you're going to survive with these constant changes if you don't really have the history of these constant changes to deal with, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, we live in tumultuous times.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean the the media would like to tell us has been telling me for a year that we're in a recession and that we're having a recession and we're going to be in a recession. I keep hearing that. Yet when I go and look at like job growth numbers, like, sure, some major corporations keep laying off people to increase their stock value. But beyond that, I still see plenty of jobs and I see people getting jobs and we haven't really seen much of this recession yet. So like, okay, let's keep moving along, (laughs) you know? The
0: allocation situation is tricky it's definitely something that every game store like existing game stores are struggling with not just brand new ones but brand new ones are especially dealing with it and it might be like a symptom of too much success it might also be excuse me uh layover from the pandemic chain the supply chain still kind of messed up there's a lot of things a lot of factors going on and hopefully things sort themselves out sooner rather than later yeah and things kind of uh kind of adapt to the environment that we're in and we figure out the equilibrium for, you know, exactly. Everybody gets exactly what they need for their market and for their customers. And they get the perfect amount and everyone manufactures exactly what's required. Hopefully it gets to that point at some point in the future. It's a, (laughs) that's a real challenge.
1: And Yeah. And I, uh, I don't envy anybody whose job it is to decide how many copies of this am I going to print or attempt to print and things like that, you know, and then figuring out where it all has to go. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't envy anybody that job, particularly right now.
0: Yeah, that's a tough place to be, for sure. Yeah. Basically throwing darts at the dartboard and hoping that you're you're aiming correctly.
1: Yeah, that you're somewhere in the you know right vicinity.
0: Yeah. All right. I've had you for quite a long time. So okay. I'm going to ask one final question. Okay. The last question is, since the theme of the podcast is success, it's trying to build a successful store, successful business, you know, what have you. Uh, the question has to do with success, but success is a really ambiguous term. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Uh, so the question is a more philosophical, a little more personal, but what does success look like for you when it comes to your business?
1: When it comes to the business, it's it's more, do you mean like, personally or like what like what i thought what like when i recognized that like i was successful or like when i realized that the business was successful
0: let's do both (laughs) start with you personally personal Um, success what does it feel like okay i made it
1: personally for me it was when uh we bought our house at the beginning of the pandemic like i I was raised with kind of the concept of like you don't really houses are bad investments um because at the end of the day your time is worth money and you will put so much time into a house that it technically, if you really look at it, it's never actually going to, even if you flip it for, you have to make so much more on it before you actually made a profit if you really consider your time in money. Um, and, but I moved around a lot as a kid. And so when we bought a house, like we had this weird situation where a friend moved out of the house and we really loved their house or they were selling their house and we really loved their house. And so when we were like kind of joked about it and then when we actually decided to do it, when I actually bought it, it was at that moment when I was like, oh, I've actually always kind of wanted this and never realized it, you know, because that, that is a sense of stability that I never really had, you know, and so it was, it's actually been really nice, like, yes, everything, houses break constantly, and it's so frustrating, but at the same time, knowing I get to come home and throw myself in a pool when it's really hot out, because this is Texas, um, you know, it's, it's a really nice feeling, you know, and it's mine, and, you know, we can paint it weird colors, and we can make, change things and stuff like that it's been really nice and that was like one of those weird moments where i was like oh i i, I guess i am successful like i've made it you know um as far as the business goes i've ha- I, it's for me it's been more like just lots of milestones like when we uh like after a year and a half we had to expand because my our first thought was start small like there's a 1500 square foot space here. Like, let's take this because if this is a dumb idea and it doesn't work, we don't want to be out everything for the rest of our lives kind of thing, you know, and then realizing after a year, like, well, this is, we need, we need more space and we need it now. And we got lucky that our neighbors moved out and we were able to take over that 2,500 square foot and, you know, we're able to make a 4,000 square foot store and we're able to do so much more with that. And then realizing not even three years later that we needed a lot more space just took us five years to actually get it between the landlords kind of messing with us because they were selling the property and not telling us and then the pandemic and new landlords and all this sort of stuff so it took a little bit longer than i would have ever liked to do that um and i think another measure of success for the to me for the store actually was when i was invited to speak at gamma for a couple years like the fact that some of my peers wanted to hear what what we were doing and that sort of thing, I thought was really like a good sign of like, oh, I'm clearly doing something right here if they want to know how we do it. And then it, that was also the first time was really fun because we put a joke title for the um, event and then it never got changed. And because of that, we basically had stand, uh, standing room only in it because the we titled, I was doing it with uh, a man named John Stevens, and we titled it um, Using Events to Help You Fail Faster, and we were just kind of kidding about that. We meant to come up with like a more um, professional sounding title, <clears throat> but it turns out that title actually um, got a lot of people's attention. <laughs> yeah. You know, ran, random afterthought there.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. No, that's the age of the internet, right? That gets yeah. the clickbait title. You know, as much as we dislike them in general, they work, right? They yeah. get people's attention and they get people to pay to click, right? Then there's a reason why they are everywhere. Yeah. Me, it's just, or the reason why every YouTube thumbnail is somebody going, oh. it's just, <laughs> that works. It works for some reason. Yeah. That's what our brains connect with and it works. So it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that yeah. people are like, I want to learn how to fail fast. That sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah. I, it, yeah, it would just was funny it was, it was a uh, I thought a very necessary thing where we basically I threw a lot of math at people which was really funny like I had charts and figures and like talking we were basically talking about like how, how your events should make you money and that sort of thing and the amount of people who when we put our examples up who we were kind of like I could see the look on their faces and I literally had one woman raise their hand and was like so in this example above like doing a draft at this price with that price support, which is what we do before we even look at like our space and our employees and things like that, we're just losing money straight up. And it was one of those like, yes, like, (laughs) like, how, how long have you been open? Like kind of moments like, yes, you, you should understand this, that before we even get to the part where like every square foot costs you money and your employees and your, you know, all this sort of stuff, you're already losing money, like how are you making that up? You know, and that sort of thing. And it was was really interesting because the first time we did that afterward, like a lot of people were coming up and talking to me and being like, you know, I never have been presented with this information. And to me, like, it's kind of one of those, like that's business 101. Like you should know this kind of thing. You should know how much per square foot your store costs and all these little things. And I found it very fascinating. And it was very rewarding to know that like for a lot of people, it kind of changed how they look at certain things.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure this is not a game store owner specific thing. I'm sure there are a lot of business owners who, you know, didn't take business courses in college or didn't have that experience before they jumped into something and they just don't have that foundation. What's but the, it is also very common. College?
1: <laughs> Was I supposed to go to college? I didn't do that.
0: <laughs> or even high school. Like there's, you know, yeah. or read yeah. a business book, right? Like there's a yeah. lot of people who just sort of like this is what I want to do and sounds great, let's go, right? Without doing some of that fundamental learning or they wait or like it takes a very long time, but it's yeah. interesting because that means that they've succeeded despite all of that. Yeah. Like the drag of, you know, running events and losing money every day without even realizing it and still being like, well, I'm still open. We're still doing things. We're still growing. Like, well, imagine what would happen if you weren't doing that anymore and you were making money instead. Right. Like what could happen? What could one it be?
1: Of, one of my other, uh, store owner friends says, you know, he likes to eat steak, not hamburgers. Like,
0: And I was like,
1: yeah, I kind of like, yeah, I get that, you know? Yeah. You have
0: a choice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, again, we're going well over an hour at this point. (laughs) Do you have any parting words of advice or anything like that that you want to leave the listeners on a happy note or even a, even a sad note?
1: Um, no, that's nothing sad. This is a joyful industry. I, I I listened to a Hasbro podcast with Chris Cox the other day, and I had no idea that Hasbro's mission statement is uh, to bring joy. Like that is their entire mission statement. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I think our industry sometimes needs to remember that, you know, like that really should be what you want to do is just to bring joy to your customers and that sort of thing. And to spread that forward, because at the end of the day, positivity and joy and your customers having a good experience. Like we often say we're exper- experiential retail. Um, That's what's going to make you money. Like people wanting to come back to your place. That's what's going to make you money at the end of the day. They like I said before, they can go to target anytime they want and buy stuff, you know, but having a sense of joy when they come in here and when they leave and stuff like that, that's going to be your biggest asset beyond anything else, being able to, and for some people, that might be, you need to recognize that you're not the best person to be up front, but you can hire people, you can hire your weaknesses. That's always what my husband likes to say. You can hire your weaknesses. And so, you know, you need to be honest with yourself and do these sort of things. And, you know, if it's if it's not working for you, get somebody else to do it for you. you know?
0: Yeah. But if you can make people feel good about spending money with you, you've got a successful business forever, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That's a great point to end things on. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This is a okay. good time. A lot started of fun. It's taking,
1: uh, taking you like three years or something, I feel like, to get me
0: on here. Like That's all. Uh, Worth the wait though. Worth the wait. Glad thanks. you could join me tonight. And uh yeah. Alright, that's it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, you'd also appreciate a quick five star review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll see everybody again in the next episode.